if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will, the football podcast after the massive title run-in summit at Manchester City between City and Liverpool, Klopp and Pep, and plenty plenty of other stories of interest this weekend. With me, as always, is Nick Gilmer, Man United fan, with another great performance to reflect on. Isn't that right, Nick? Oh, another scintillator. Can't wait for May. <laughs> yeah, roll on the end of the season, as you've been saying. Unfortunately, uh, George can't make it for once. He's lost his 100% record. He's pulled something in the warm-up, hasn't he, Nick? <laughs> but, um, of course, it would be just after his biggest win of the season at Watford uh, for his beloved Leeds. But uh, our guest today is uh, soft southern toffee, Ben Jones, uh, an Everton fan. It was simply becoming unsustainable not to have an Everton fan on the show with what's going on there. Hello, Ben. Hi, yeah, that's how I always describe myself, soft southern <laughs> toffee. Now, we can uh, assure you, listener, that he's very bona fide Everton fan, even if he does not sound like it. <laughs> My name's Alex Gross. I'm the Spurs fan. Absolutely uh, cock-a-hoop. We'll talk all about how, just how many goals uh, swing there's been in the goal difference between ourselves and the Gooners. I assure you of that. But uh, let's get stuck in, first of all, with the so-called title decider, which actually left everything uh, the way it was. But I think we felt that if Liverpool didn't win this one, the title was probably City's, given the fixtures. What do you think now, Nick? I think um, I think you're absolutely right. It's sort of as you were. It's just an entirely depressing set of circumstances as a United fan to watch these two incredible teams. Yeah, I don't come playing. to you for the hype. <laughs> yeah, they. Um, I, I think I've said for a few weeks they are the best two teams in the con- on the continent, and I thought the game absolutely lived up to it. Actually, for yeah. once, um, normally. You know, there was a period of time where these massive matches between the big teams became a bit damp squibs, really. But uh, this yeah. was really good. And there was a strange sort of symmetry with the, the previous game earlier in the season. That's we right. We also finished 2-2, where one team kept coming back, having been behind. So, yeah, it was uh, probably about right. I think there's very little between the two. Similarly painful for you, Ben, to uh, to watch the red side in an important clash at the far at the other end of the table, is it? Yeah, well, I think for a, a good few seasons now, there's been no point in trying to uh, be envious of Liverpool because they're just so far ahead of where Everton are at. Plus, you know what? I don't mind Klopp. You know, I think he's good for the game, good for the league. Yeah, the rivalry um, is great, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, as as Nick was saying, it was a it was a very entertaining game. I think partly because, I mean, while it was high in quality in some respects, defending wasn't great. No. They yeah, just, true. To some degree, just thought, threw that out the window and thought we'll just attack each other. Yeah, there were, there were definitely some nerves, weren't there? Yeah, that's a really good point. The Liverpool offside trap was all over the place. Yeah. And, you know, Trent gets a lot, of, a lot of criticism for not being able to defend. And he looked like a winger playing at fullback at times. Yeah, and uh, Liverpool didn't impress me at all in the first half, to be fair. Uh, much better in the second half and responded well to going behind uh, twice. Yeah, probably fair result in the end. But I do think it means that, just to borrow a phrase from all those pundits about Arsenal in the last few weeks, <laughs> that Man City are in the box seat. I, I don't know if you saw this uh, post-match analysis on um, Super Sunday, but it, it pertained to you both because the point was made that Liverpool's fixtures with uh, Man United and Everton both at home coming up within a week in late April, uh, should be difficult games. But are they? Big question mark. At the uh, moment, I mean, I'll go first and say that United, home or away, is the easiest fixture in the league at the moment. And I fully expect that to yeah. be proven when we play. I think Norwich. it was Micah Richards arguing that those are always big games because of the history. And Gary Neville was saying yeah, those two teams are just atrocious right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean Everton are always bang up for the uh, the derby at Anfield, but they're exactly. also invariably, well, consistently over the last twenty years, bang poor in the game. <laughs> Give it a part, you know, say for a couple of years ago when there was no crowd and Richarlison scored a goal and Ancelotti yeah. to get us to defend well for a game, it's it's not a successful place for for Everton. So, was that a draw or a win? That was a win. That one. Oh, so you can win there when there's nobody there. Yeah, this uh, okay. this is in the Ancelotti <laughs> season when you know we got more points away from home than we have all season thus far. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, Liverpool's fixtures do look tough, but I don't think any of us doubt that they can win all of them. And uh, likewise, City. So uh, anything could still happen. But I don't know if you're aware, Ben, um, many months ago now on this show, we said that the league was already won. It wasn't just Nick. I think we all joined in and we even called the episode the the week the league was won. So we kind of need um, City to finish it off um, for our reputations. But let's see. We don't know. Do we think maybe Liverpool will come back and win the cup tie, Nick? Good question. I mean, I'm really hard to make a call, to be honest. I, I sort of have City as favourites for everything they're in. I thought like City it. looked genuinely yeah. the better side, yeah. But I just think maybe the way these things work with the rivalry and uh, they showed before the game that Klopp and Pep have won nine each against each other across all leagues. I think Liverpool might come back and do something in the FA Cup semi-final. Of course, there can't be a draw, so it'd be very interesting. Might go all that, the way to penalties. Yeah, I just think that Klopp, if push comes to shove, he's not into the domestic cups. They sort of stumbled to the League Cup by accident, but yeah. they've not had any joy in any of the other cups while he's been here. So I think he may well end up focusing on the Champions League and the Premier League. Okay. So um, did you see uh, the big Saturday tea time game? We'll get to lunchtime soon, don't worry. But the Saturday tea time offering at Villa Park, Steven Gerrard against the world's best front three, Son, Kane and Kulosevsky. Did you see any of that? Conte's done it, hasn't he? That's top four sealed. Yeah, so I have a real bone to pick, uh, as last week, I have a real bone to pick with Sunes here. Um, for some reason, Sunes was demoted from the title decider on Sunday to do our game on Saturday. And uh, he liked Aston Villa's first half performance so much that he couldn't stop himself after the game from saying that he couldn't understand how Aston Villa didn't get something out of that game with the scoreline at the bottom of the screen, nil four. And he said, um, it's a real head scratcher and they'll go away wondering how they didn't get anything. The tactical change in the second half from Conte to actually overwhelm Villa completely and score three further goals was summarily ignored on the coverage. I think Darren Bent was the other pundit, so he didn't have that much to offer in terms of insight, whether <laughs> whether as a player or a pundit, I'd say. But, you know, that I noticed that that didn't happen yesterday at uh, Man City. The fact that Man City were overwhelmingly better in the first half and then Liverpool changed something and played better in the second half you didn't have the whole panel saying afterwards it was a head scratcher how Man City didn't come out winners you actually had people praising Liverpool for their attitude and coming back funny how nobody did that for Spurs anyway I'd actually rather at the end of the day that the focus and the the limelight wasn't on us because it's always better when we when we go sort of under the radar but uh was a little bit tentative on last week's show to talk about just how good Harry Kane is after he uh, completely ran the show against Newcastle at home because it was just Newcastle, I suppose, and because I didn't want to go overboard. This week, I don't care anymore. Uh, I'm going to say Harry Kane is the best player in the world. And I don't mean by that, of course, before you think I've gone mad that he's the greatest player around. He's not better in terms of achievements and greatness than Messi, Ronaldo, etc., etc. What I'm saying is he is playing the best football of anyone in the world. And I challenge you to show me anyone in any league, Champions League, Europa League, who's playing better than him. And what I'm talking about here, again, he wasn't on the score sheet, is basically that he's invented a new type of footballer. He's invented a new position. And now it's getting so silly that these assists to Son, with Son scoring a hat-trick on, Sunday, on Saturday, these assists are now becoming pinpoint glancing headers, two of them from, from long balls from the back. I mean, he can, he can launch a 40-yard pass from the centre circle to a so-called wide receiver. <laughs> he can uh, head it on to someone who he can, who can see through the back of his head. He can obviously finish. I mean, the forward play as a nine and as a 10 in these last two, three games has been sensational. And even Carragher admitted uh, yesterday that Salah isn't quite on top form. So I'm not having that discussion. Of course, Salah's probably the best player uh, this season overall with Kane's sluggish start, but that's not my point. My point is he's the playing the best football of anyone in the world. Anyway, the other thing I really want to mention is that I felt a bit like God this week, I suppose. I felt like I've been given the controls of the Premier League and I've been allowed to do the programming because I think if I was going to design what would happen, I would have um, 
Spurs winning 5-1 against Newcastle and then Arsenal losing at Palace the following night. And then a week later, I'd have Arsenal losing at Brighton with an insipid performance and uh, rancor at the Emirates. And then uh, us playing champagne football against Steven Gerrard and winning 4-0. So there's been a, I think, 12-13 goal swing in the goal difference between the Gooners and ourselves in the space of two weeks or so. And uh, I couldn't write the script any better. Obviously, we've got Brighton next and they could do the same to us that they did to Arsenal. So I'm always wary of uh, how things can bite me in the backside. But I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying mostly the dynamic between Kulusevsky, Son and Kane. And I'm also, as I've mentioned before, completely in love with Romero. Fantastic signing also. Bentancur as well, getting better. So that's all I have to say about that. I want to say a moment on Arsenal and their quiet implosion whilst Arteta escapes any sort of heat yet again. Well, indeed, yeah. I mean, they were in the box seat, to say that phrase again. Yeah, as they kept telling us. Two weeks ago. (laughs) And they were playing all the good football and they've thrown it. I think Spurs will now waltz it, I think. Yeah, to pick up on a couple of things. I mean, when Conte went to Spurs, I did think, well, they will get fourth now. Or they'll be certainly top form, you know, maybe even higher, but it's not transpired that way because obviously Man City and Liverpool are so far ahead and Chelsea have just about sort of, yeah, quite a couple of wobbles kept themselves above. But you did think, yeah, Conte will get Spurs fourth. And then from there was a bit of time where it was going a bit pear shaped. Yeah. But now you just, you've got the faith that he'll get them to kick on from there and stay, sort of stay where they are ahead of, ahead of Arsenal. And I mean, West Ham and Man United, I don't think they've got much hope. The difference is like night and day in performances, uh, not just from the the Nuno times, but also from the first few weeks under Conte when he was adjusting. Uh, Nick and George will remember that (laughs) on this show, when we lost three times in a month to Chelsea and didn't really offer anything in any of those, I think he was really finding his feet, looking for combination, a lot of injuries as well. And he was complaining and he was also pushing for good signings, which then came on deadline day. So there's a lot of factors, but... The change in the last couple of months, uh, because I include in in our list of good performances, I also include that game at uh, Manchester United, which wasn't really against United. It was against Ronaldo, wasn't it, Nick? Uh, (laughs) He just decided to turn up that day as opposed to many other days. Uh, But I just think it's night and day and it's really enjoyable. Also, this was important in that sense because we weren't very good in the first half. We got a lucky first goal, but then sat back. I texted George saying I don't like this because it it actually looks like we're playing as if as if we had ten men as if we had a man sent off. I was very uncomfortable. Uh, he was laughing at me about that after the final scoreline came up. But yeah, I was genuinely uncomfortable with the first half. But that shows the ability to adjust and to change things. And I wanted to mention going back to Sunes with his lazy analysis and saying to head scratcher that his best mate Stephen, who by the way he referred to as Stephen several times. Um, that he didn't get something out of this. Well, it was actually a tactical adjustment that was really quite clear to see from Conte and that they picked up on on Match of the Day very astutely uh, that won the game. And I remember this, I think it's maybe 10 years ago when Pep had gone to Bayern and Klopp was still there just and they overlapped and Pep had to deal in a classica between Bayern and Dortmund. Pep had to deal with this heavy metal football from uh, Dortmund and this high press that he's brought to Liverpool. And he just decided to instruct Hummels and Berteng to keep sending it long. And I think they won handsomely 3-4-0 or something. I don't remember the exact score, but it was a it was a very memorable moment tactically. And then also in Euro 2016, interestingly, Joachim Löw did that against Conte because Conte had the, his formation that he still plays now and um, Löw didn't see a way around it. And he had, uh, again, the same two players who are capable of these accurate long balls, Boateng and Hummels, just ping long balls to the to Ozil and and whoever else was up there. And it worked insofar as it was a very even contest and went to a penalty shootout. And Germany eventually went through. That probably marked uh, Conte as well. He will have taken his notes that day. And he did that to Gerard and to Aston Villa today. He said at halftime, well, that wasn't good enough. We've got to change something. It was a clear change. Three goals came because those players are fantastic and can execute these things brilliantly. And I don't think it was fortunate or a head-scratcher that we won 4-0. I'm sorry. Kulazewski is an interesting one as well because you wouldn't have said, who do we need alongside Kane and Son? Well, yeah. that is sort of tall guy. Yeah. Uh, who, who, you know, looks a bit cumbersome, but actually, you know, he's, he, he's worked out pretty well. And I, I mean, I think there's been a, 
a few false dawns with the third person to work with. Kane yes, I feel sorry for Lucas because he was just doing really well there in January, February. Yeah. But he's been demoted now. Yeah, Kulisevsky is just a little bit more quality. But it's fantastic to be able to bring on the likes of Lucas and Bergwijn, who's had some good appearances too. Um, just briefly to finish on, on the places around Arsenal and Spurs. Uh, well, Chelsea uh, came back from couple of disappointments with a 6-0 at Southampton. I think uh, I texted on Saturday, didn't I? This is why Hasenhüttl won't get a big job because he's lost. He's had those two 9-0 defeats in his Southampton career. I remember we went there once. He played a high line, got it completely wrong and Son and Kane just had a feast. He gets these impressive results and uh, pushes big managers in big contests sometimes. But then also all too regularly, he gets it completely wrong, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it also says as much about where Chelsea are at because we said last week that that Southampton game was the big test for them. They've had a poor yeah. couple of results. And are that, is the arse literally falling out of Chelsea as they get bored or are they still a really functioning team? And I think that proves the latter, at least until May. Does it make you think they could get a 2-0 in the Bernabeu? No, no, no I think that was gone. <laughs> yeah. And then West Ham, absolute Thursday-Sunday sufferers, aren't they? They lost uh, at Brentford after a... A tempestuous game against Leon on Thursday, which we'll hopefully talk about later. They won't mind a job. If they get if they go and beat Leon, they'll be delighted. No, exactly. Yeah. So they've played uh, two games more than Arsenal now, one game more than ourselves and United. But uh, we're on 57, Arsenal on 54, and yourselves and West Ham on 51 now. So I hope that your prognosis is right and that we'll walk it now although it's never that easy is it what's the um, Spurs running like well we've we've actually got quite good fixtures apart from having to go to Anfield where actually with these performances against big teams and seeing some of those nerves at the high line from Liverpool yesterday I felt quite quite encouraged to play them if they're in that disposition at the moment it could be a good game but yeah we've we've got a friendlier run in than Arsenal which is part of the reason that I balked at suggestions that they were in the box seat in the, in the preceding weeks just a quick one on West Ham story and perhaps this is just me being hopeful because they've got Burnley up next but in reality, they're not going to win the Europa League, are they? You would think, you know. Because they may have Barcelona next. <laughs> it's going to be a difficult semi-final and final if they get there. And I just think, I'm hoping that they start thinking we do need to keep turning up in the league because we don't want to drop out of the European places or drop yeah. into the conference place. Yeah. Because um, it's been a great season for them. But that would be a real disappointment if, you know. I mean, they'll, certainly they'll think... It's been a great season anyway, because thus far it has been, and they've had a great run in Europe. But they want to maintain that by getting to Europe again, I would have thought. Yeah, they'll want something at the end to show for it, and nobody wants the Conference League, I suppose, yeah. Okay, welcome back to part two. And now we're going to get stuck in with Nick and our guest this week, Ben. Um, Your two teams clashed at Goodison. It's always a big game. We were saying in previous shows that it's pretty much Everton's second biggest game of the season, isn't it? It's sort of the one that the fans are up for the most after the Merseyside derby. And in this case, <laughs> there was there was uh, everything that we wanted from it in terms of noise and colour at Goodison Park, the wonderful sunshine also. But the context is that you'd lost in midweek, Ben. You'd had the lead at Burnley and you lost 3-2. Shall we just have a few words before we get stuck into... Everton, Manchester United. Shall we just have a few words on your um, sort of state of mind after that Burnley game and just how dire things looked between then and Saturday lunchtime? Well, only if we have to. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was the way things had gone, that looked like a, if not must win, then certainly must not lose. So to lose it was devastating. Um, And it left you one point ahead of Burnley, didn't it? Yeah, and to lose it in the fashion that we did. And if we'd lost it, you know, if it had been a horrible, scrappy game and they'd scored from a corner in the 62nd minute and we'd lost, then, I don't know, it's Burnley away, it happens. But to, <laughs> to give them that kind of momentum swing of being down and then coming back and winning it later on, it just Yeah, felt, psychological blow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it just felt like they will kick on now and we just look completely devoid of any confidence or belief. Yeah. But luckily, we, we played Man United next, so... Um, well, you say that on the, on the outside, some of us were saying, well, they're destined to beat United now. And Nick said, yep, of course, because of the way the last few weeks or the season as a whole has been going. But did you actually feel like that inside 
Everton, did you feel like, oh God, this is the last game we want now? Or actually, well, this is perfect to get us up now? I mean, I wouldn't have said it was perfect because they are a much better team than us yeah. uh, on paper, certainly. Although, I mean, traditionally, we've done well at home against United. And even when we've struggled, I remember, you know, seasons in the mid 90s when we've been yeah. poor, but we've still won 1 0 at home against Man United with a Duncan Ferguson header or something like that. So, it's a game we always seem to be up for. And exactly, the fans, yeah. fans are saying always up for. Um, and in the week when there was this sort of talk about, are they going to sack Lampard? Um, and when Man United were talking about, uh, you know, looking forward to Ten Hag coming in yep. and how that's going to be great. I thought that's, a, that's the kind of narrative I want, that we're in big trouble. Everything's looking rosy for Man United. And then, you know, but that is exactly the kind of narrative that leads up to Everton winning the game. So yeah. I didn't mind all that. But the game itself, you know, wasn't great. It didn't start that particularly well for us. You know, Man United had the better of the first 20 minutes, a few decent chances. Rashford was unlucky with, with his sort of snapshot in his header. I thought the first one, people were making a big point about Pickford saves. I thought the first one, you know, was there to be said, you know, should have been letting that in. The, the save from the header was a good save. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Pickford, so I'm always suspicious when they... But when he makes uh, saves for the camera and everyone's talking about how great he is, because I'm yeah. absolutely convinced he's not good enough for it to go to a World Cup with England. Well, agree to disagree. But <laughs> the, in terms of the game then, I mean, a bit lucky in a way to get that goal. Good bit of pressing midfield. I thought it was a good ball by Gordon through to Richardson, but he just, on the soft, just couldn't reach it. And then it comes back to Gordon. And who else does it whack off but old slabhead? Although yes. You've taken the words out of my mouth. Of course it was going to come off him, wasn't it, Nick? If you were were writing a script on like the destruction of one man's morale, you would write (laughs) the season that Harry Maguire is having. I think we've said on previous podcasts, he should be out of the team, if nothing else, for duty of care from his employer. You said that before he got booted by England fans at Wembley, yeah, yeah. He's having a horrible time and it was just, you know, everything he touches turns to crap. Mm. But I think, yeah, the problems at United are much deeper than Harry Maguire and his inability to captain this team or even defend off. So let's talk about that a bit, Nick. Uh, Ronaldo was back from another so-called injury <laughs> that kept him yeah. out of the last game. Uh, Rashford was in. Rashford's had no confidence either. Were you surprised to see him start? I just think uh, Ragnick's already at this point where he's just, Every week he's got to do something different because it's, yeah. it just doesn't work week after week after week. I think it's really harsh on Alanga, but Alanga's been quiet for a few weeks. He made a big classic young player coming through, has an amazing month and then drops off. We should expect more from Rashford. Rashford's not been great for a long time, actually. Yeah. But the problems at United are far, far deeper. I think none of the players bought into this interim idea from when Ole went. And it does seem so, yeah. They've just gotten worse. And I mean, as if a whole football club can write off six months of the season. I can't believe it, but that is essentially what it looks like United have done. And perversely, they always spend more when they finish outside of the Champions League. So there'll be big turnover this summer, I should have thought, and it'll be a do-over, having spent three years looking like they had a bit of a plan. Uh, so so you're uh, you're often quite negative, uh, including, on, <laughs> well, <laughs> on, including on this show. It's the whole fan base sort of... Uh, have, have the whole fan base given up on fourth or anything um, good coming out of this season you're six points behind us now I, I say with I would say the fan base wrote off the season a few weeks back but I think it's going to get a bit nasty actually there's a planned protest this week against Norwich um, yeah. and comparisons are being made with what happened in the Liverpool match during the, the pandemic yeah um, which ended up having that, that match moved now I'm not saying they're gonna have the match abandoned again or moved but there is a significant amount of unrest amongst United season ticket holders. Yeah. And it's not really, I mean, the players aren't trying hard enough. The management seem a bit rudderless, but the, you know, the, the real gripes are with the owners who have allowed the decay to set in to such an extent that I don't think a managerial change will fix things. Um, I think it's, it's much deeper than that, sadly. But wouldn't you say, um, that it was similar situation around 2014-15 at Liverpool and then the right manager came in and changed everything from the bottom up. Do you think it's not, I'm not comparable sure. to that? I, I don't think so. I don't think United are run as well as 
FSG of running Liverpool. I think Liverpool don't spend as much as City, for example, so they are an incredibly well put together organisation. Mm. But um, but United, you know, the, the stadiums in decay. Liverpool are looking at ways of making their stadium bigger. Yeah, and similarly, you know, our recruitment over a decade has been dreadful. As one of the biggest spenders in the league, you look at that team, you think, where is the value? Like, if you were to sell someone, you're not making a profit on anyone. It's, so we've uh, got this, we've got this curiously rearranged Liverpool Manchester United on a Tuesday night next week. Um, I mean, it'll be a horror the, show. Even the worst, even the worst pessimist would think you'll beat Norwich, uh, even if there's a protest. But um, I disagree. But Norwich Tuesday, won at the weekend. yeah. I think, but certainly Tuesday chance. at Anfield, uh, with them chasing a title, there's going to be you're going to be right back on on the uh, back potentially front pages and all this chat on uh, Sky Sports and punditry all round all about Man United's failings is going to be right back in the headlines, isn't it? I think so, and I think um, the only thing that helps is the season's gone and the managers the managers leaving. So, what is the story? United don't win another match is becoming yeah. news. Yeah, I, and I, you know you hope that the focus really should be on the title race by then. But it, you know, United are huge news. I made the point slightly flippantly about Arsenal combusting, having yeah. got into pole position. I don't want to. Be yeah, there. there's just no discussion on a on a comparable no. level to your implosions. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm glad that. In our generosity, we've given three points to my friend Ben at a time when his Everton needed it more than ever. Yeah, thank you. Good segue because, Ben, let's look at the larger picture. You've talked about these two games, but just season as a whole. Um, obviously, we started doing this pod when Benitez was in charge. Um, we were wondering how long he could hang on because the results were so bad. He lost at Norwich and all these weird results. From your point of view, how how long does this malaise go back? Where does it originate? I know, I know it's a big question, but just tell us a bit from a from an Everton fan's point of view. That I mean, Lampard's walked into a storm here, and we we uh, laugh at him sometimes, especially George with the uh, Leeds derby history and the Spygate. But um, the problems go back much further. So just give us a perspective on that, if you can. Well, I mean, they go back way before Benitez, if you want to look at, I mean, it depends how, how big a picture you want to look at. The, the, you know, the spending essentially since Mashiri came in has been not well thought out. And, yeah. you know, you can't, to some extent, you can't criticise Mashiri because he's come in and given us a load of money. Um, yeah. So he's a, you know, he's this sort of wealthy benefactor that's trying to help us. But at the same time, he seems to have, what I want to have, to have too much say and you would have thought a man in his position who's presumably got a decent bit of business acumen would realise that let someone who knows what they're doing run the football club and decide how our money's spent. Yeah. And I'll, I'll assist with providing the funds rather than him trying to take a leading role in who they should be signing, what's been going on. So I think that, that sort of... Have, have you had any directors of football? We had Steve Walsh at first, the guy who was at, you know, won the league with Leicester. Mm-hmm. He came in and that didn't go well, but that was because... It seemed to be just a complete lack of focus on who was actually making the decision. So that was the season when we signed Davy Classen, yeah. Wayne Rooney, and we had Sigurdsson. And what's the actual idea of these players for getting in? Um, yeah. And then we had Brands, Marcel Brands, come in and who'd been successful at Eindhoven. And again, the talk always was that whose signing is this? You know, is this a brand signing? Is this a manager? Whoever the manager was at that time, whether it was Silva or Benitez or was it Mashiri? Um, so there's been a there just hasn't been a, a, a direction that we've been following. And then in terms of this season with with Benitez, we started well, like the first three games. I mean, the only game we've won away, the first away game of the season against Brighton, and we had a win against Southampton, another good win, and then. And we were playing like the kind of football that fans wanted us to be playing under Ancelotti, but we weren't because under Ancelotti it got really stale by the time he left. And then the first few games of Benitez, we were actually quite dynamic in attack and it looked good. And I was quite optimistic. And then I don't know if it was then Benitez thought, no, we need to actually shore this up a bit. And he got. I'm just looking here. It was four wins out of the first six at the start of the season and in fifth place after seven games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, save potentially saved us from going down that start of the season um yeah. but 
yeah, then it just got it just got toxic underneath us really quickly, which I suppose was always a risk because there's so many such a big proportion of the fans didn't want him. Yeah. That as soon as it did start going wrong, it went wrong quickly. And I don't know, I mean, the, the 5 2 defeat at home against Watford was a terrible result. Yeah. And I'm not sure we ever really recovered from that. And so, I mean, from my perspective as well, I thought, you know, I think people, some people have been talking about us only being in a real relegation battle the last few weeks. But to my mind, the last couple of weeks of Benitez, we were in real trouble. Yeah. November, December is uh, a run of six defeats in seven league games. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, when it came to appointing a new manager, I mean, I know you you chaps are not massive fans of Frank. Uh, and to be honest, when when it came down to the options of Pereira, Lampard and Rooney, I was sort of thinking, well, if, if those are my options, I'm maybe thinking Rooney, because at, at least I yeah. think he'll get fired up yeah. in a way that the others won't. But um, from uh, hearing him talk on Monday Night Football the other night, uh, Rooney was not going to leave his post at Derby, I think he said he was offered a conversation about Everton and he wasn't going to take it at that time. don't know. Yeah. You never know with these things, but um, yeah. There's definitely Lam- something about Rooney. I mean, I know we'll talk about Lampard in a sec, but he's doing something at Derby. He's got he is, isn't he? Yeah. 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 And he's got, he's apparently got loyalty and commitment. Yeah. But yeah, so obviously Lampard then, we're rubbernecking, we're laughing at him um, for his comments, especially because he makes some comments that don't help him but yeah I mean what about this sort of fist bumping and giving it the bigger and after uh, after beating this Man United on Saturday I mean moreover he didn't know that uh, Norwich uh, would beat Burnley the next day so I mean ostensibly a point between you and he's sort of fist pumping in front of the Gladys Street end as if he was uh, Klopp um, I don't want to bring that into it comparison to the red side but um I don't. I didn't think that was the appropriate moment to do that. I think it was a. This was a game to run down the tunnel, give a, a measured post-match interview, and say we take each day as it, each game as it comes. What did you think? Well, I don't know. I think there was a lot of emotion within the ground. You yeah. saw some players how they all sort of collapsed to the ground at the full time. Yeah, the noise was amazing. Yeah, I don't blame the fans at all. I'm just saying the manager at this point yeah. in this situation, it's not over, is it? Oh no, not by a long way. Um, but I think. Well, I hope that that's the kind of win that will energise them and spur them on. But at the same time, had the win against Leeds, didn't yeah. do that. Had the win against the, you know, that win against Newcastle when we were down to 10 men and then we scored in the 200th minute or whatever it was. Yeah. I thought that would pump them up, but then we, you know. Or oh, under Benitez, the one against Arsenal, that was a personal yeah. favourite, Damari Gray. There's been a few of these kind of false dawns, but yeah. I don't know, I'm hopeful, hopeful with our fixture list that I mean people have saying we've got a hard running we've got Leicester next you've got Leicester They're, twice uh, presumably because of some coronavirus rescheduling yeah. earlier in the season you've got them twice in two or three games we've got them a week on Wednesday and they're coming off the back of Eindhoven away then Newcastle away and then away to us yeah so I'm hoping they're completely run down by then yeah. also I mean they play well this weekend Leicester so you right? never know which Leicester will turn up we've yeah. said that on this show yeah yeah but as a as a you know, if there's a team you want to play twice in your running when you're fighting for your life, it's the team that's got nothing to play for and have still got yeah. European commitments. That's right. But um, are you are you ignoring um Liverpool away and Chelsea at home in between them or <laughs> ignoring Liverpool away, just don't concede too many. Chelsea at home. Again, Chelsea are a bit like Man United, they're one of those teams that we quite often do get a good result at home against. And if they get through against Madrid, which I don't think they will, but if they do, their focus will be on that because yeah. they're, they're a sure top four, really. So, And then you yeah. have Brentford, Palace and Arsenal to finish. Yeah, I mean, Arsenal away, I do not want to be going to that, trying to get anything. Not because of Arsenal, well, not because of this Arsenal side. It's Everton and London, isn't it? Well, Everton and Arsenal, just awful record, yeah. especially the Emirates. <laughs> So I don't want to, we do not want to be going there having to get anything, even if Arsenal have got nothing to play for. And Palace at home and Brentford at home, you should be winning because they're, going, they're both going to be safe and they've got nothing to play for. Yeah. So if you think, we, out, out of the two games against Leicester, and one, one being at home, Palace at home, Brentford at home, you would have thought that's nine points. Or, you know, at somewhere you factor in the Chelsea game, the Leicester away. I, I don't know. Yeah, and obviously, yeah. 
But Burnley's defeat at Norwich is a huge game changer as well. Takes uh, takes a lot of the pressure off, doesn't it? Yeah, but as I said, we've kind of had these false doors before, so I don't want to get ahead of myself because the impact of going down would be catastrophic for us. I know people, some people have yeah. said, oh, you, know, you could could start afresh and rebuild, but we're we're in such financial trouble. We're committed <laughs> financially committed to the stadium. All of Usmanov's money has been taken out, which was given us a big leg up. That's a good um, point. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, I mean, you can't complain about that in the circumstances. Was that sanctions? Yeah. Yeah. But he was pumping in, like, I mean, he was paying 30 million quid just to sponsor the training ground. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you call that kind of influx of money what you will. But, uh, I don't think it was good value for him in terms of a sponsorship deal. No. <laughs> maybe he had ulterior motives for it. Just to recap then, because uh, we're talking about this, I, I'm just going to spell it out. Uh, Burnley in 18th, 30 games played, 24 points. Everton in 17th, 30 games played, 28 points. Obviously, disastrous result for Burnley at Norwich, um, losing that game. But your goal difference is minus 19, both of you. It's not over, I would say. Just a nod to George that uh, after a 3-0 win at Roy Hodgson's Watford, Leeds are now on 33 points. Two more games played, yes, but five points clear of yourselves, Everton. You're not looking up at Leeds, are you? It's just a straight fight between you and Burnley. What do you think? Uh, I would be looking up at Leeds if we won our two games in hand. But at the same time, I think old Jesse seems to have um, got them playing quite well. Yes, what's the uh, what's the stat bomb that George has sent us in in his absence, Nick? Yeah, so before Jesse, it was four, uh, it was six on a in a row, and now they're four unbeaten with three of those being wins. Six defeats in a row, it was six in a row, which is yeah. just about as bad as it got across the continent. Yeah, so yeah, they're on the up. Uh, good to see, and he's uh, he was absolutely bouncing after that uh, win at Watford. Rest of the country barely noticed, I think, but uh, he sent me a picture of Leeds fans in the away end at Vicarage Road, and there were limbs everywhere, as they like to say. And uh, sort of, uh, I know the picture he's talking about because it's gone viral over the last few days. Lots yeah, twi- of, <coughs> men are old enough limbs, to know better. Yeah. Twisted limbs and carnage everywhere. Yeah, I saw that, and I didn't know what it was. I just saw the picture, and you can't see anyone wearing a club shirt, but then there's just the one like one of those old school Leeds flags that someone's just holding in the corner. I was like, ah. <laughs> well, somehow you know it's Leeds though, don't you? <laughs> okay, welcome back to a short part three where we talk a bit about uh, Europe and the upcoming week. So last week we've already mentioned that Chelsea went down 1-3 at home to Real Madrid. Benzema with another hat-trick. Benzema in incredible form. Well, Nick, you said you don't think Chelsea will come back and do it. I think it's the sort of thing that Tuchel can get out of them. Uh, I think, Ben, you mentioned you still see it as a possibility. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's hard because, you know, I think Tuchel has got it in him tactically to get the result, but also exactly, yeah. Ancelotti's been around the block. He knows what he's doing. And mm. he seems to get... I don't think this is a great Real Madrid team, but he's getting tune out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As he did before, yeah. Mm. Uh, Villarreal beat Bayern 1-0 and it could have been more. El Madrigal was absolutely bouncing. Unai Emery, cup specialist. Uh, I do think Bayern will come through and uh, get the result in Munich. so, because this pod's ability to make me look stupid week after week, having easily called mm. that as a Bayern win. I think you're right. I'm with Bayern on that one. I think well, I think most people across Europe thought Bayern would walk it. And yeah. I think Bayern hierarchy and management were a bit shocked by that away performance they always have a banquet after a away performance in Europe I can imagine that one would have been a bit sour but yeah I think they'll just come through and do it obviously hope so being born in Munich um, Benfica won Liverpool three uh, you said that both City and Liverpool will be done after the first leg so you probably correct with that one but not so much with the Man City Atletico one where Atletico did again the absolute job they did on you at uh, Old Trafford, but obviously City slightly better team, so they got the one nil. Um, yeah, that's uh, it. They will. Did you hear that, Nick? A slightly better team. Than I you was the first to admit <laughs> it a couple of weeks back. I think I. But said yeah, they that. got uh, they got a one nil, but that's not enough to say that it's done, is it? And uh, if Atletico score first uh, at the Metropolitano, then that will be bouncing as well, and Simeone will be 
very passionate on the sidelines as usual. Um, ben, you saw the City Atletico game. Was it classic Atletico? Well, I suppose it was, but I, I was still surprised at quite how defensive they were. I mean, you're used to the, you know, we're used to two banks of four, but this was two banks of five. Yeah. <laughs> which essentially meant that they had no ambition to get up the pitch. And no. even when, so when it was cleared, obviously there's no one there up front for Atleti, but then they weren't even kind of chasing out. They were like, no, keep five on the 18 yard box, keep five, seven yards ahead of them. Yeah. And they won't get through this. And then that was, I mean, they didn't have a shot on, in the whole game. Yeah, we did that for periods at Villa. It's quite depressing to watch, um, especially if you sort of arrogantly think that your club has a, a, a DNA of attacking football, which we won't go into. But uh, uh, yeah, it's awful when 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 you look like you're you've had one or two red cards, and then you count up your players, and you've actually got a full complement out there. But uh, that must be what life is like as an Atletico fan. I don't know. Yeah, um, I kind of want them, with, you know, with Jao Felix and Griezmann. Kind of want yeah. them to really have a bit of ambition. Yeah, you wonder what the, how they're going to approach it at home, uh, needing the goal. Obviously, that'll be interesting. But yeah, live by the sword, die by the sword, perhaps. And then on Thursday, I joined a uh, friend of the show, uh, Will Swannell, who's been on a few times to talk about West Ham. Uh, continued my vicarious interest in West Ham's uh, Europa League campaign. They won one nil at Lyon, but that's only half the story. Just before half time, did you see the red card decision against Gresswell? Yeah, that really was awful, wasn't it? And then that classic little wink from Moussa Dembele, the Celtic Dembele. The wink I have less problem with because I've seen it worse. Yeah, um, I think every Englishman has. <laughs> yeah, we have. Um, the I mean, it was soft red, but I also I think you've seen it given. If it was on the other side, I'd be screaming for it. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was very, very harsh um, because not only was it a faint touch on the shoulder, but also Zuma was kind of covering as well. So that was the, 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 the touch on the shoulder. I don't, I'm, you know, Europeans have been doing that to English teams for for years and we should, we've caught up. So yeah, that's not the problem I have with it. It was more covering defender. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that's the argument you could have for it being quite soft. I've got a good friend who's a West Ham fan who was there. Yeah. He was saying in general, he thought the referee was appalling. I mean, I only I only saw the the goal and the red card decision. I didn't see anything else. But in isolation, I thought, yeah, the red card was a bit soft. But he's a German ref, and I believe I'm right in saying he did the first uh, Bayern Dortmund earlier this season, which was littered with mistakes as well and a terrible penalty that ruined a great spectacle. Um, I think, I think we've talked about guy. this ref on the pod before. He's I think the one it's who the was same done guy, for, yeah. for match fixing, wasn't it? Or taking yeah. a bomb. He's done. He's done. He's done something which should prohibit him. We're, we're slandering him ter- terribly if it wasn't the same yeah. chap, but I think it was. <laughs> you check that in the edit, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, but yeah, they got the 1-0. That will stand them in good stead over in Leon. but um, the tie is in the balance. Leon did look quite good and assured for parts of the game, at least. Uh, Frankfurt went ahead against Barcelona with a wonder goal from, uh, from distance. Uh, Barcelona came back into it. So that's also... Poised, 1-1. The winners play the winners of West Ham Leon, of course. Uh, great goal from Dimitri Payet as well for Marseille. I don't know if you saw that in the conference. And yeah, Ben, you mentioned Leicester are still in that. They, they got a nil-nil with PSV second leg coming up. Uh, and next week, we've got the FA Cup semi-finals, which is why Leeds are basically on the beach. I don't think Leeds have a game now for two weeks. Uh, so George maybe we'll hear a little less about all their injuries than next time we hear <laughs> exactly yeah maybe some of their injuries will heal uh, um, do you think Jesse Marsh will take them on a instead of a warm weather break to uh, Dubai he'll probably go Florida won't he that'll be <laughs> interesting um, but yeah FA Cup semi-finals I said already I think sort of the, the way these this rivalry swings to and fro I can kind of see Maybe Liverpool doing something there, although I did think City were the better team on Saturday. What about uh, Chelsea Palace? What do you think? I think Chelsea comfortably, if I'm honest. Chelsea comfortably? Yeah, I do. I don't know. I mean, well, actually, I was just about to say maybe Palace, but then they haven't got Conor Gallagher, have they? Because Chelsea won't let him play. Oh, okay. Which is a big mess for them. It's all on Zaha's shoulders as ever. But if, um, if Elise and Eze and well, you, you can't play. I don't think you can play Elise Eze and Zaha, can you? But well, maybe they can. We'll see what they do. I hope they do. 
I hope they do something. Definitely rather see Palace in that final. Yeah, and we've already mentioned uh, it's Leicester and Liverpool next for the Toffees in the next few days. And uh, United go to Anfield after a protest day against Norwich. We've got Brighton at home, where hopefully we'll score many more goals with champagne football as we have been in the last few games. But let's end today with uh, another prompt, Ben, uh, to you to tell us about your opinions on Lampard. So I think especially George thinks that he's a bit entitled and has landed a big job without really deserving to or sort of uh, a bit of nepotism going on because he wasn't that successful ultimately at Derby this is all me um, putting words in George's mouth really but I think he agrees but yeah um, also the tactical uh, awareness that he seemed to lack in his spell at Chelsea I remember his first game was a 4-0 defeat at Old Trafford wasn't it on opening day of that particular season and um, Tuchel came in and just showed what could be done with the same group of players with an immediate change uh, overnight and winning the Champions League and everything. So um, Lampard, we have our suspicions, um, doesn't really know what he's doing or is a bit sort of lacking in tactical acumen. What do you think? Do you think maybe it's not even the situation that you're in as a club is not even the time and place for tactical acumen and it's more sort of old English values of passion and uh, leave something on them and uh, all that or bluster like uh, like at Goodison on Saturday what's your what's your view just before Ben answers I'm going to say this is the most leading question I've ever heard (laughs) (laughs) right to reply I mean I agree to some extent that he's not done that much really and, you know, there's an element of he's getting the jobs because of the player he was. But, you know, he's not the first person to be like that and he won't be the last. Um, mm. In terms of tactically how he's been with us, yeah, I don't think he's been great, to be honest. There's been a bit of sort of switching it back and forth. And to an extent, you know, you need to do that depending on who you're playing. If you're not, you know, if you're not City or Liverpool who dominated games and dictate on the opposition, how you're going to play, then sometimes you do need to change your tactics for who you're playing. But it just seems to be kind of switching it around without any yeah. proper consideration of how erratic. It's going. Also erratic in sort of throwing the players under the bus uh, for their lack of effort. And then a couple of weeks later saying, yeah, I can't ask any more of them. That was also a bit yeah. strange. I mean, that game where he threw him under the bus is the Palace Cup game, yeah. which was a really annoying game because... I agree with him that Palace didn't really do anything and they won four. <laughs> and we just we just sort of let them play through us without any real effort to score four goals. It was infuriating. So I can understand why he was pretty right. annoyed after that game. He is a bit moany. I would agree with that. And yeah, there's definitely been games where he's played four across the middle and we've been overrun because we've got you know an opposition playing three across the middle and overrunning our two. And that's happened a couple of times and everyone else seems to see it happening and he doesn't. At the same time, he has done some good things. He's got, a, you know, he's he's getting a real tune out of Alex Awobi at the minute, which none yeah. of our previous managers have managed have been able to do. Calvert-Lewin, I don't know what's going on, but I don't think that's his issue. I think that's, a, you know, Calvert-Lewin's not been at it since after those first few games when he went out, out injured and then came back. He's just not been the same player, and I don't know what's really going on there. And he's doing lots of photo shoots, Nick tells us. Oh, yeah, he's he's always he's always done that though. I don't mind all that. You know, he's always <laughs> he's always done a bit of that. Um and when he's going well, no one cares, but when he's yeah. going yeah. bad, people do. But yeah, you know, he's done some good, he's done some bad. He said was it after the, I think he said on Saturday that you know he's got ideas for what he wants to do in terms of the squad going forward and how he wants the team to play, but he realizes that the rest of the season's not about that. It's about survival, yeah. which is true. Which is You're true. In a dog fight, yeah. Definitely got the sense that he took the job thinking three games later he'd have dragged you out of relegation scrap very quickly, mm-hmm. and that squad was far too good to be where it was, and it didn't transpire that way, and. Assuming he starts again, basically, in the summer, he's the guy you want? Well, in the absence of a better option, I don't see why, <laughs> I don't see why you necessarily get rid of him. Yeah. I mean, my, my biggest criticism of him today would be, as you're sort of saying, 
after some of these performances, he just looks exasperated as if he doesn't understand what's gone wrong. Yeah. And that's not what you want your manager to look like. You want him to think, no, I know what, why that went wrong and what's gone wrong. But he just seems to think, oh, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> why have we lost 4-0? And just in a broader sense, um, a couple of shows ago, we all kind of agreed on here, all three of us, that we don't have any significant ill feeling against Everton. Maybe Nick a little bit more from the Scouse-Mank uh, yeah. angle, but certainly George and I, we don't really mind Everton as a club. We don't have any ill feeling towards their supporters, want them to do well, just don't really want them to go down. But this season has been a strange one because firstly, there was that uh, that resistance and uproar to Benitez, which got quite uh, nasty in, in places. Then there was the sort of rejection of the Portuguese chap. And I could understand that if it was in favour of a club legend, but it was in favour of somebody who ostensibly has nothing to do with you, Lampard. And then uh, we heard that Everton fans sort of enthusiastically welcomed Frank Lampard and really wanted him to take over. That's what I didn't quite understand can you explain that for us where where does that sort of keenness to to have frank lampard at the helm come from is it a mutual loathing of the red side or what (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean i i agree that i don't think uh pereira was the right option because i mean looking at his record he's he's done quite well with big teams in smaller leagues so portugal and, and greece and China, um, but he had a go at 1860 Munich and did awfully. Yeah, just don't, the other thing is, uh, I know a lot of fans are concerned that Jurabchin's got uh, Mashiri's ear and that's just impacting everything he does. And that's yeah. why Pereira was coming in. So I think there's a lot of anti. A bit like Mendes at Wolves, you mean? Yeah, I think it was a bad feeling that it was just agents running the club via yeah. Mashiri. But I agree that. When you're looking at a choice between Pereira and Lampard, there's not much rationale for saying I definitely want Lampard over Pereira, other than oh he's English and he gets it, which is yeah. you know a bit of a nonsense. But does he? <laughs> at the same time, I'm the one saying I would have rather had Rooney because I think he gets it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, well, I think Rooney will be there one day, don't you? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just well, it depends on what happens with Everton Football Club and what happens with his career because in the minute Saturday aside it looked like we were going in different directions yeah yeah okay uh, let's leave it there thank you very much for your insight Ben um, we'll go gentle on the toffees uh, till the end of the season I don't think we want them to go down as such but it is it is obviously a very interesting narrative at the end of this season Nick will speak again after uh, Norwich and then we got Liverpool as well on the horizon for you. Perhaps this protest. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, inter- the interest has got to come from somewhere, hasn't it? When it's not on the pitch at the end of the season. You're not used to that, really. But the season's fizzling out, as it often does for clubs like mine. And George, I'm sure, will be back next show to report on uh, how Leeds have uh, enjoyed their, their time off. <laughs> so thanks very much, guys. Thank you, Ben. Thanks very much. And thank you, Nick. Cheers. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.